Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. I'm Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking about Montserrat. Montserrat is a natural wonder, a rocky mountain range that rises from the plains of central Catalonia. It's a holy place, home to La Moreneta, the Virgin of Montserrat, and a Benedictine Abbey with history stretching back 1,000 years. The history of Montserrat is intertwined with that of Catalonia, and it's a special place for Catalans, whether they're religious or not. Joining me on Filling the Sink today is Catalan news journalist Alric Terol. Hi, Alan. Hi, Lorcan. You took a trip to Montserrat recently. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Uh, first, though, let's just take a listen to this. That's El Birulai, a hymn to the Virgin of Montserrat, the wonderful sound of the Escolania de Montserrat, a boys' choir that has been going for more than 700 years. Can you believe it? Uh, more from them coming up later. Alan, Montserrat, it's a really unique place, isn't it? Yeah, it's like many things at the, at the same time, and I think that's what makes it interesting in part. It's, of course, like a, a natural wonder, this very iconic mountain range, like in the center of Catalonia, which actually I, I remember as a child, like growing up in my in my hometown, I could see Montserrat on, on clear days. It's a site that a lot of Catalans are familiar with, but it's also like um, it's become a, a tourist hotspot. So it's, it's a nice place to go there on a, on a day hike to visit the, the museum. Um, you can do many things there. Perhaps some decades ago, it was especially a religious symbol. But what I think makes it interesting that even now that um, Catalan society has become less and less religious, Montserrat may not be that important as a Catholic um, symbol, but it has remained like a, an icon. I love your Catalan pronunciation of it, Montserrat. Montserrat. I, need to, I need to work on that. That's <laughs> lovely. Um, and it literally means serrated mountain. And that gives you a, a kind of an idea of what it looks like, because it's really this uh, jagged kind of rocky outcrop with all these kind of spikes coming out. It, it's not your typical mountain. It's kind of quite surreal looking, actually. Yeah, and it depends also on like the, the face of the mountain that you're looking because it's, of, of course, like you can see it from, from maybe from Manresa, which is like the, the, the main town next to, to Montserrat. But from the other side of the mountain, you have a completely different view. So like it depends a bit on where you are, like what, what view of Montserrat you'll, you'll get. That's so true. And even just traveling around Catalonia, like leaving Barcelona and going north to the Pyrenees, going south to Tarragona on the motorway, you see Montserrat, really impressive, but completely different because one, you're really up close, the other, it's kind of more mystical in the distance. It's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it seems like no matter where you go, almost you, you, at some point you're going to pass Montserrat. Mm-hmm. It's kind of no wonder that it has this importance, like, you know. Mm-hmm. So perched up on this mountain at an altitude of 720 metres is a monastery and a basilica which houses La Moreneta. La Moreneta, Alan, is the Virgin of Montserrat. Yeah, it's a, it's a Black Madonna, and, and again, it is, is very, very iconic. And I, I, I even remember, it, w- it was funny when I went there recently and, and seeing La Moreneta, and, and it reminded me of, of the stories that I used to hear as a, as a child about how La Moreneta was found there in Montserrat by, I think it was 
two shepherds or something like this that, yeah. that, that saw like a, a light shining in the mountain and, and they went there and found La Moraneta inside a cave. And I think they, they tried to, to move her to the closest diocese, but uh, she was too heavy. And they... She I think, didn't want to move. Yeah, she didn't want to move. Uh, and at least this is what, what they understood. Like, okay, she doesn't want to be moved, so we will build the sanctuary around her. And this is like the, the foundational myth of Montserrat, which I'm sure that if you actually do your research, it this is probably not the real story. Yeah, I, I think um, modern technology dates it to <laughs> around the, the 12th century. And the wood, the reason it has this dark color is the wood has been blackened by candles. Not that it was buried for hundreds of years, because I think I read that somewhere as well. That, uh, the, the legend is that it was actually carved by St. Luke and brought to Catalonia by St. Peter before being buried, before it was <laughs> discovered by these shepherds. But um, yeah, nice story anyway. And, and today I've been to Montserrat once and I couldn't believe the size of the queues uh, to see La Moraneta. And it's quite curious because you, you, you queue up and um, some people kind of kiss. She has she holds an orb in her yeah. hand and people go along you and touch, touch it, it or kiss it. And But there's kind of a monk like just off to the side, kind of just keeping watch to make sure that nobody hangs around too long and keeps the queue <laughs> moving. So it's this bizarre kind of juxtaposition. Yeah. Even even now, recently that I went there, um, and of course, due to COVID reasons, like there was not a lot of people, but there was a queue to, to see La Moraneta. I think it's the only place where I saw that actually people were waiting like in line for something in Montserrat because it was empty. But La Muraneta, like you still had to wait. To, to get your chance. Yeah. And uh, of course, it is a place of pilgrimage as well and has been for hundreds of years. And even um, I think if you say you were to, to do the Camino de Santiago, for example, if you were to start in Barcelona, there's routes that go past um, Montserrat. And it, it's always been a very important place for people in Catalonia to go as kind of a religious pilgrimage. And one of the attractions there, of course, is La Escolania. Yeah, um, exactly. Tell us what that is. Yeah, I, I went there to learn more about La, La Scolania. And so La Scolania, I actually don't know if you have a word in English for that, but it's this voice choir that they sing at a, at a church. And normally or traditionally, these boys were also kind of part of the religious community and they would help the, the priest. And nowadays... They, they are basically the, the ones who sing every day at, uh, at the Massive. daily mass in, 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 in Montserrat. And it's like around 40 or 50 children, I think. Boys aged from 9 to 14. It's a 700-year-old institution. Like, everything is very old. It's here. incredible. And on your trip to Montserrat, you popped in on some rehearsals and talked to some of the boys and their teachers. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a listen. A trip to Montserrat can be a feast for the ears, from the archaic toll of the bells to birds chirping and the wind blowing, and of course, the most breathtaking of all, the Escolania Boys Choir. If you've been raised in the Christian tradition, you'll probably think of this sound as heavenly, even angelical. But the singers, of course, are not angels, but regular boys, some of them not even in their teens. And the marvelous sound owes less to mysticism than it does to more mundane reasons. Work, a lot of hard work, and a top-notch music education. Hi, I'm Falcaro, I have 12 Folk, I talked to 12-year-olds Paul Caro and Albert Folk, two students at the Escolania, 
or Escolanets as they are called in Catalan. They spend a week in Montserrat, which has a boarding school, and go home for a short weekend with the family. Every day they sing at the Mass. In the morning they take general courses like math, science or languages, and after lunch it's time for the music training. And we study all of us piano, and we can also choose a second uh, instrument. In my case it is cello, in his case it is violin. Their English teacher, Esther Sánchez, acknowledges that the schedule can be a bit stressful. So in these five years, they, they learn how to cope with this, maybe a bit stressful schedule. But for them it compensates because they, they love music, so it's a way to, to study music and also keep on with their general knowledge and, and, and education. Her job is also preparing the students for the trips abroad when they go on tour. My favorite thing of being here are all the concerts. I think it is really fun to go to sing in other places. These last years, uh, we went to Norway, Russia and Germany. Walking around the Escolania complex, I come across two university students from the U.S. who are volunteering to help the kids and the monks improve their English. Being musically trained themselves, the boys' talents feel even more overwhelming. I'm so in awe of the difficulty of the things they perform together and the blend that they have. So the first time I heard it, I... I was just kind of, like, I almost laughed, so... Yeah, they're yeah, kids. This has they're... to be a joke. It can't be this good. Yes. But it is. It's amazing. Central to achieving musical excellence are resources. There are 30 teachers and less than 50 students. To get accepted, the boys' music skills are of foremost importance. The tuition costs a few hundred euros a month, but that's a tiny fraction of the real cost, paid by the monastery with help from sponsors and public subsidies. However, the choir does not find itself in its best moment. This is Efrem de Montallà, a monk and a school principal. He says the pandemic has posed an existential threat to choirs across the world. While students were sent home during the worst months of lockdown, they could keep up online, but new applications plummeted. He is hopeful, though, trusting that times of crisis come and go. And for a 700-year-old institution that has survived the Black Death and civil wars, that definitely bears some truth. That's the voices of the boys' choir, the Escolonia de Montserrat. And thanks to everyone at the Escolonia for opening their doors to us. Alan, you mentioned there that they're worried about the numbers of applicants and stuff. Are they considering opening up this 700-year-old boys' choir to girls as well? That is something that at the moment um, I, I talked to the school director and he said that this is not something they're planning to do, um, at least not right now. 
he says that there's not a, a big demand for it. Um, it's true, though, that I saw some interviews, for instance, with with relatives of the of the boys singing there, and they would have like the the sister of, of one of um, of these boys saying something like, "Oh, she she was actually the one who is more into music or more right. into singing, and she's not admitted there." He like the the director um, gave me like a, a long explanation. He said that the the one of the goals of the choir was to to create a sound which would resemble as much as possible the sound of a of the ancient choir to be able to 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 sing the songs as the composers thought they they they, they had to sound. But of course, when your goal is to stay true to tradition and history, you can end up perpetuating biases and discrimination against certain certain groups. And of course, let's face it, in, in this day and age, denying girls the same opportunities as these young boys to a great musical education. And it's not just singing in the choir, as we heard. It's also yeah, because the musical education is, is they get, those boys get that. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's not the only debate around the Escolania. No, there's also the debate around the, the public money that the Escolania um, gets. I, I talked to the USTEC, which is the main teachers' union in, in, in Catalonia, and they told me that the Catalan government spends twice as much money in a, in a student in La Escolania, which is a private school, as they spend on a public school okay. student. So even though it's a private school, the public funding per pupil is twice that as in an ordinary public school. Yeah, and, and this union said that they appreciate the cultural task that the, that Montserrat do, but they still call it a, an aberration. I also talked to some officials in the education department of the Catalan government. They didn't provide any figures, but they didn't like these comparisons because they said that financially speaking, the money that schools receive and that Montserrat receives is like two different things. So they didn't want to, to get into that. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely debate about the kind of the, the model that the, that the Escolonia has. But what's not up for debate is the quality of the singing. We heard mm -hmm. it earlier and we heard um, some of the boys saying about the international tours they've done. And the choirs recognize at an international level. It was yeah, so, so recently uh, BBC music magazine article where they were named as one of the top 10 choirs in the world, which is a, a great achievement, obviously. And even better achievement when you realize that five of those 10 choirs were actually from England. So it's really... <laughs> BBC, what yeah. a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so out of the whole rest of the world, one of the top five. And if people want to listen, they have videos on YouTube as well. So well worth checking out. We've been talking mainly about religion, and we said right at the start that Montserrat is known not just for religion, but it's also a kind of a political role. It's also a beautiful uh, natural park, and uh, it has a real importance for Catalonia, doesn't it? It's appeared in poems and songs. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's a bit like, just like you will always see Montserrat there in the horizon, like in cultural references, in, in, in songs, in music, in books. It's like Montserrat will be there, maybe not always, but like every now and then you, ah, Montserrat, they're, they're talking about Montserrat. And, and you, you meet loads of people called Montserrat as well. It's like, I think the second most popular name in Catalonia we were checking just before we came on air. Like, yeah, and, and, and funnily enough, actually, um, people are not calling <laughs> their kid Montserrat anymore. The, the position of the name in 2019 was 253 with only... For six, newborns? Yeah, with only 16 newborns being called Montserrat, which is... I, 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 like hard to believe considering how many Montserrats I know. So it's kind of going out of fashion maybe a little mm -hmm. bit as well. 
Now, Montserrat, it's it's also true to say that the, the kind of Catholic Church in Catalonia, based in Montserrat, played a bit of a political role during the Francoist years after the Civil War as a kind of um, a hub for resistance and a kind of a hub for the Catalan language and, and opposition to, to Franco, who attempted to almost wipe out a Catalan identity. Yeah, actually, Montserrat is one of the patron saints of Catalonia, together with Jordi, San Jordi. Jordi. And in 1947, in Montserrat, in the mountain, there was a a big celebration in April. Um, And it was the first public event since the, the civil war. Where, where Catalan was spoken, was used in that in that event, like in public. Yeah, and I actually read a few anecdotes that were almost funny, if it's not so tragic in a way, that there were these arguments between the bishops, the Catalan bishops based in Montserrat and, and the kind of Spanish authorities as to the pronunciation of the Latin mass, because there was concerns <laughs> that, that the Latin sounded too Catalan, it should be more of a Spanish pronunciation. And the other complaint was that that the choir were singing in Catalan as well as Latin, but not in Spanish, to which the priest responded Mm. that we don't have any scores in Spanish. (laughs) And I suppose the interesting thing about that is it was putting up this opposition to Franco, despite the fact that obviously Catholicism was a central focus of Franco's kind of doctrine. Of course, yeah, yeah. Catholicism was, but Catalan identity wasn't. Yeah, so there's, there was this kind of tension between mm-hmm. those two things. And one of the interesting events as well that happened was in 1970, there was protests against these kind of show trials that were going on in Burgos of Basque activists by Francoist forces. And that led to the occupation of Montserrat Monastery by academics and artists and cultural figures who imprisoned themselves in the Abbey for several Nights. In fact, Juan Miró, and who was age seventy-seven at the time, and Antonio Tapias both took part, uh, although they didn't spend the night. Nowadays, you're not likely to see artists and cultural figures and political figures taking refuge in Montserrat. You're much more likely to see queues and coachloads and busloads of tourists yeah. uh, being ferried about Montserrat. Isn't that right, Alan? Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Montserrat is actually the second most visited place in Catalonia outside of Barcelona. I think it was like 2.7 million visitors who visited Montserrat in 2019, of course, like the, the last year before the pandemic. When I went there recently, it was not crowded at all. It was like just a, a few people. Um, but of course, they are expecting that once international travel resumes, Loads of people will again flood back. I'm trying to remember because I was there in, well, it must have been 2019, but I think it was, it must have been November or something. So it was like real off season because I did get the impression that it was like overloaded with tourists, but I'm sure during the summer months it's different. But one of the most fascinating things is your arrival to this place because, well, you've got two options and we didn't know which to go for because both of them are spectacular. We went with the cable car. So you take the train from Barcelona. It's all Mm -hmm. very healthily signposted from Plaza de España. You get the train, Mm -hmm. you get the cable car up and it's kind of, it's pretty nerve wracking, you know, uh, going up in the air, uh, going from ground level all the way up. You can see the mountain and you can see the basilica and the abbey and all that. The other, I haven't done the other way. Yeah, I, I took a different, a different option, which is the the rack train al Cremallera. This is how it's how it's like called zip, in zip in Catalan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, it, it basically is like it's like a train, but but the train is connected or attached to the track um, with 
well, this technology, the, 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 I guess, inspires the name of cremallera because it's, it's like zip. a zip. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Just, there's no, there's no gap. It's like, yeah, yeah, and it kind of hugs the mountain as it goes up. Yeah, mm. I must go back just to do it that way as well because it's, of course, you can drive as well. You can take a bus or a coach, but it's. I, I you can also it, hike. You can hike. Yeah, mm. plenty of options. Uh, but and then when you arrive, of course, uh, you've got the monastery, the basilica, the the, the La Moranette that we've talked about, but actually just as an area to go hiking and stuff, it's absolutely spectacular with all the rock formations and uh, you arrive, you're about two thirds up the mountain, but there's still a, a bit of a way to go and the views when you get to the top are incredible. I think it's, uh, I've got it here, 1,236 metres high, which which is high, but I mean, it's nothing compared to like the Pyrenees, but the difference is you're surrounded by flat land, so you can yeah. see in all directions. You can see the Mediterranean, you can see the snow-capped peaks of the Pyrenees. It's really well worth a visit and to do a bit of hiking if you do go as well. I actually spoke to a few tourists during my recent visit, and this is what they said. Actually, my parents um, are living in Barcelona, so we are in on holidays, and uh, they... They told us about Montserrat, so this morning we decided to come here uh, to hike first and after to visit uh, the basilic. I had um, friends that said, if you come to, to Barcelona, you need to, to visit Montserrat, and this place is really beautiful. Yeah, the church and the temple, the, the mountains, the views, it's really, it's really nice. You don't see these views and uh, these kind of buildings in the city center. I also talked to some Catalan people who were there, and for instance, uh, the guy said that he had gone to Montserrat maybe over 30 times that he learned to to climb, to do like to go to like go rock climbing. climbing yeah. yeah, rock climbing. He learned uh, how to do it there, and th that was like his favorite spot, and he would always go there. Yeah, I'm not surprised with the kind of formations. Like it must be, it must be a good place yeah. to do that as well. Another woman mentioned the the museum that she believed is is very uh, special. I think it has over 1,000 different artworks, and including like um, artworks from artists like. Salvador Dali so it's like definitely worth a visit as well I mean there's so much to Montserrat there's the story of Heinrich Himmler the the, the Nazi who went there um, some people say he was on the search for the Holy Grail which you know Indiana Jones style might have been uh, hidden in Montserrat yeah I, I, there were also stories about like UFOs being um, spotted in, in, in Montserrat so, so like a lot of, of yeah. weird stuff yeah. <laughs> Time now for our Catalan phrase. And right at the start of the podcast, we heard some music, and I thought that it might be interesting to use just the first couple of lines of that as the Catalan phrase. Yeah, because it's definitely something that a lot of Catalans would recognize, even if you don't sing it. <laughs> with the are you going to say? Are you going to? No, 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 oh, not come today, on, it's been a while. Today, it's been a while. Oh, it's disappointed. Okay, say it for us then. So it's Rosa de Abril, Morena de la Serra. And it's like April's rose, which probably refers to Montserrat, like the patron saint. Her saint's day is in April. Yeah, it's in April. And so it's Rosa de Abril, Morena de la Serra, and Morena de la Serra, it's something like the brown skin gold or dark skin gold um, of the Serra, of the mountain range. Uh -huh. Obviously referring to the, to the Black Madonna, to the Moreneta. Uh -huh. Okay. So, Rosa de Abril, go on, sing it for us. <laughs> Rosa de Abril, Morena de la Serra. Beautiful. You're happy, Lorca. Yeah, you've made my day. 
And that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Alan. Thank you. Uh, thanks to everyone at the Escolonia as well. Uh, we're back with another episode of Filling the Sink next week. Until then, take care. Bye for now. Adios.